going through working folk releases and singing songs and practicing performing, we spent the first few months hitting one note on the piano. Ba, 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 can you hear that note? Ba, 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 no. Ba, 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 can you hear that? Ba, 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 like, oh man. And we spent months doing that. But when I went over to his house for one of the lessons, I saw this board on his wall and he had mapped out, this is an 11 year old boy. He mapped out his whole day, he was homeschooled of how he's gonna work his voice. Work from 11.15 to 12, take a break, work these notes, go over this lesson that we recorded on this, like he had it written on a board. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, I've got Mally Bonner. Mally, thanks for doing this. Yeah. So you're in the music industry, you're in the film industry, you get to do a lot of exciting stuff, huh? I do. I do. It's it's fun. Entertainment, you know, you get to deal with some good divas and some bad divas. It's fun. You you have a pretty impressive client list in the in the music world. Can you tell us about a few of the bigger names? Yeah. Katy Perry, Ariana Grande, Camila Cabello. A lot of them are the pop female artists, but uh, yeah, I spend my, my time developing pop artists. So either getting them ready for a tour or recording sessions or performances. And so that's what I do. Yeah. So let's, we're going to talk about your film as well, but let, let's start here. So let's pick any of these names, Ariana Grande. What, what does that look like? Why, you know, she's so great. Why, why does she need you? You know, don't tell her she needs me or that's a problem. Cause she, <laughs> she, cause I mean, really my, my job with Ariana, it's, it was while she was at Nickelodeon. So developing the actors into performers and that type of thing. So I would prepare them for their live performances and then artists like Ariana. So not just her, but a lot of times recording artists, they lose their voice halfway through, not so much Ariana Grande, but artists, for example, because nowadays they have to wake up in the morning and it's hair and makeup at 4.30. And then they go to the interview with Billboard. So they're on their voice doing that. Then they go to the radio, interview, podcast, interview, and then they're meet and greet. So they're just on their voice the whole time and then they do their concert. And so my job is to figure out ways to put the show in order that they can make it through without damaging their voice after six months of touring. Interesting. So tell me about the science of that. Tell me, tell me how someone does that. Yeah, so it, it's tough because it's like, I'm, I'm, you know, you go, if you go to an award show, you're not going to be like, and I want to thank my vocal director, my vocal, you know, so yeah, it's yeah. like, it's kind of like one of those hidden things just to make sure things roll smoothly. But, you know, I, I do come in, I sit and I, I watch the show and I'll determine what's working and what's not. Because, you know, for an artist, they want to do it all and they want to sing everything in the key that they sang it in. But a lot of times that's just great for the radio, you know, but then we come to the live show, we have to lower it down a key and a half and we'll add the background singers on this part. You pull back on this end. And so each one is different. But the the biggest the, the, the biggest thing that I do with them is called vocal conditioning. So like, you know, when you watch an artist who sings and dances, they may get, you know, you don't notice that they're tired. And that's the goal is that we don't hear you breathing for air, air nothing when they're dancing around. It just feels like, oh, they just do that all the time. My job is to get them to that point. So I condition them. I push them. And I say, you're either going to throw up or cry. And then I know I push them hard enough. So that's what I do. <laughs> Interesting. So did you- it just kind of happened. You know, I came to LA and I was thinking, you know, I'm in a, I'm in a man group because I don't do boy bands. I'm in a man group and we're going to make it famous. We're going to be huge. And so I was thinking that I was going to be the artist, but I grew up my whole life with my mother as a vocal coach. So I learned the voice from 
the beginning, it, the, my first memories are being walked in a car seat underneath the piano while she's teaching a voice lesson. So I knew the voice by the time I graduated high school, came out to LA. And as I'm helping my group, other managers be like, oh, can you help my artists? Well, yeah, sure. And then one artist to the next artist to reality shows. And it just kind of snowballed from there. I didn't realize that my mother had given me this gift of knowing the voice. Yeah. And wh where did you grow up? I grew up in Vegas, Las Vegas, kind of bounced around within there. But, you know, Vegas is... What's funny is living in Vegas, you don't visit the strip. Like we didn't, we went there one time and that was for, for a boys like activity where we were picking up pamphlets and trash on the strip, which is terrible. You have all these 12 year old boys picking up these, you know, right. But that was my only time on the strip. So it's a different experience living there than visiting. Yeah, sure. So I'm interested, you know, the world is so fascinated by, by stars and celebrities and stuff like this. Yeah. And our, our mutual friend, Lindsay Hadley, who got us connected here, obviously works with a lot of A-list actors and stuff like that. And I, I've, you know, I've got to be around it, following her to her events around the world. Yeah. Um, I'm interested for you, what was different working with these people than you had expected? You know, I guess be, when you know a specific art, and for me, it's, it's the voice, the way it works, how to sing, how to better it. When you, when you are like a specialist in an area, the people that are famous, they're no longer famous. They're just people because you're there to teach them. So it was, it was, I was fascinated that I wasn't starstruck, you know, no matter how big the artist was, they were just another kid that wanted to be famous and made it. And now my job is to help them make sure they can continue making it. And so that was the biggest surprise is that I wasn't going to be like, Oh my, this is Camila Cabello. You know, it, it, you don't feel those feelings. Yeah. When you think about mastering your craft, you know, you've, you've done so much to get to this point. What's something that you see other people in a similar space not doing? Why, why are they not getting to the level that you're getting and, and working with the level of talent that you are? It's, you have to put the time in. So, I mean, I was fortunate because my mother forced me to put the time in to learn the voice. It wasn't because I just want to master how the voice works. But my mother was doing these vocal seminars with some of the biggest teachers in the world and doctors throughout the world. And they'd come together to these seminars at our house. And I'm the one coming in, serving them food and sitting there like, oh my, this is going to be. So I had that for years, probably 12 years growing up. And I can't imagine um, someone else doing what I do and not having the training that I've had. And so those who don't have the fortune to have a mentor built in by a parent, you have to put in the time. And that translates also to the artists. What I've also noticed is that most people think, well, they're just lucky, man, they, if I can just they're born, they born talented. Yes, yes. And that is the biggest misconception. I won't say who, but one of the artists I work with, I started working with them when they were 11 and 11 years old and they were tone deaf, meaning they, I couldn't give them a note and them sing it. So instead of us going through working vocal leases and singing songs and practicing performing, we spent the first few months hitting one note in the piano. Ba, ba, ba. Can you hear that note? Ba, ba, ba. No. Ba, ba, ba. Can you hear that? Ba, ba, ba. I'm like, oh man. And we spent months doing that. But when I went over to his house for one of the lessons, I saw this board on his wall and he had mapped out, this is an 11 year old boy. He mapped out his whole day. He was homeschooled of how he was going to work his voice, work from 11, 15 to 12, take a break, work these notes, go over this lesson that we recorded on this. Like he had it written on a board and that was his daily regiment. And I was like, wow, this is what you do every day. And he says, yeah, you told me. I was like, most people don't do it. So years later, three years later, he's an incredible singer and he's incredible at just about everything else he does. And then he was discovered at 14, became a huge star and is killing it. 
And it's not because he was this gifted kid. He just chose to work at it and put the time in. You know, it's interesting, the art of mastery, you know, how just hearing that story makes me think of a couple of things. One is, and I'm interested in your thought on this. Why do you think as humans, we overestimate how much we can change or improve in the short term and then underestimate how much we could change or improve in the long term? Oh, man. Unfortunately, technology allows things to look perfect like that. In music, with filters, with everything, we can see the change from one second to another. It's, I'm now beautiful. And I felt like I was ugly. I now can sing auto-tune and I thought that I couldn't hit the note, you know? And so because of these tricks that technology gives us, it makes us believe that that's the way it's going to be across the board. All I need to do is somebody plug me in. If I just need that thing, somebody can just, and they forget that it's the hard work and the years and hours and hours and hours of working it that allows you to be prepared for that opportunity, which we call luck. (laughs) You know, it's interesting to think how the more patient, the more dedicated we are, the luckier we get. It's like you get so many shots on goal, one of them finally goes in or something. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. That's that's incredible. That's exactly. I'm interested. You know, I feel like I saw this at art school when I when I left high school. Uh, I left a year early and went to a fine art high school. I took the very traditional route to becoming a, a investment fund CEO. I'm an art school dropout. Okay. <laughs> so I I was like the best kid in my grade, whatever. And and I actually was able to leave home for my senior year and go to a to go to an art magnet school and then so there's kids from all over who've come to go come to this place so like to do art and then i win that competition i'm the number one kid at the magnet school right yeah and i get a little bit of a scholarship and i i get into i get into this art school which has a whole bunch of uh artists from the number one commercial art school in the world well at least in america where you live in or at least spend time in pasadena the art center there yeah and and i'm in a whole class with kids who were me at their school. Like they were all the best artists in their school. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it's funny. There's like, it was really intimidating how good some of these other kids were. I'm like, oh, geez, (laughs) you know, like, I don't know if I belong here. Right. And it's funny. Like you, we were all comparing and kind of like the pecking order and you're, you're, you're looking through all these other kids portfolios and you're like, wow, that guy is really good. Right. And it was interesting because at this school, they were really intense about trying to weed kids out saying like, we're not doing them a favor to, to let them spend all this money on an art career. If they're not going to be able to make a career out of it. So like their first class called basic drawing made many, many kids cry every semester in college. And it was like rubber meets the road. Like your talent might've gotten you here, but it's not enough, you know? And it was interesting to like, at that point, see some kids who we all thought were the best artists amongst us freshmen, like fall apart when it was like, okay, it's time to add skills. It's time to learn perspective drawing. It's trying to learn these, the complicated things that are not the, the fun part yep. of art and drawing. And at that point, it was like the work ethic. It's almost like the kids who are a little less talented and had had to work hard the whole time. All of a sudden they're like, oh, more hard work. This is what I'm used to. Where some of the talented kids were like, "Wow, this came so easy. To, this came so easy to me," and and you you found them like rationalizing why they weren't going to be an art major anymore. Wow, I'm wondering if you see that in music at all. Yeah, I mean it's it's very similar. The only difference is that with music, or you can tell me if it's the same thing in art. With music, the individuality is so important. Like 
instead of trying to be better than you, I just have to make sure that I'm being me. And that, that was always the hard thing to get an artist to accept that who they are was the best thing. How they sound was the best sound. And so a lot of times it was hard to get them to believe that. So instead they sound or look like a B version of so-and-so or a C version of whoever. But if we can just get them to be their most authentic self, now that's what we want. You'll have singing, you'll have these these people come in for an audition and it's a label who's looking for a new artist. And you would think the best singer gets the job. Who's the prettiest? Who's the best singer? Like, no, it's not the best looking. It's not the best singer. They may end up being the background singer. We'll keep their name in the bucket, but it's the person who is authentically themselves, unapologetically. So that's, that's the hardest thing is to believe that who you are is the best. It's interesting. Actually, I think it completely applies to art. You know, there are some studies of, of extremely famous artists, like for instance, Jackson Pollock, okay? Who, you, you know, you can argue he's not, doesn't have, maybe it doesn't have the most aesthetic value to people, you know, guys splattering paint, okay, mm -hmm. right? But his brother, I believe I'm getting the story right, his brother studied extremely closely under his painting teacher and was almost a, a, a complete duplicate of his mentor, okay? Mm -hmm. And nobody's ever heard of that guy. Nobody's ever heard of Jackson Pollock's brother, right? Oh, wow. Because he was busy making making paintings that that didn't that weren't original, that weren't speaking to people, that weren't that weren't unique. And like, me too's don't make a huge dent. I mean, the art world is so ruthless, you know. Whether it's music, film, you know, two D art, right? Yeah. And and like I like personally, I'm not into Jackson Pollock paintings, but. That guy, like being himself really hard, obviously turned into paintings that sold for millions yeah. of dollars, right? And so it is interesting how like you need to copy enough to build a skill set. You need to emulate your mentors enough to build skills in painting and drawing and sculpture, but you, you can't have a successful career by being a me too. Absolutely. I love that it has that correlation because they couldn't be more true in entertainment for sure. So I'm interested, you know, a lot of people would like to have celebrity clients. You know, we have on this show, we have a lot of entrepreneurs who listen or investment fund managers who are backing entrepreneurs and they would love to have celebrity clients and it's it's great for your brand and stuff. In my experience, a lot of people objectify celebrities though. And they they talk to them about what what can I get out of you? And and as a result, like celebrities get, you know, it's like it's almost like a force field. They go shields up when somebody new is talking to them, Right. So I'm interested for you, what has been your advice? You know, what have been your techniques? What advice would you have for the rest of us of being magnetic for celebrities to want to become your client? Wow. I think, I think you said it in, and the way you preface the question is not looking for what you can get out. You'll, you'll get what's coming. So you'll get what's coming. So that's that. But the second that your intention is for yourself I mean, I mean, if there's one thing that goes across the board for celebrities or people who are famous in what they do, they can sniff that out, you know, and nobody wants to be around somebody that's just looking to take, take, take. So if you have something to offer, you're there because you do, then just try to offer the best version of what you can give to better the person across from you. And that, that doesn't just apply to celebrities. That's to me in life. You go to any situation saying, what can I bring this group? And then of course you'll get what's coming, but what can you add? What value do you have to make them better? And so for me, it's, it's always been that. It's yeah. always been that. It cannot be about the, the clout that I get or feel because of these names that I'm working with. It's just what value can I add to their career? 
Yeah, no kidding. You know, I'm interesting. I'm interested because you've had a peek behind the curtains in a, a world that I haven't really spent much time. When you look at somebody like a Katy Perry, like, you know, maybe not on my playlist. I'm probably listening to my like snowboard music from the 90s. God, where's my Nirvana? Right? But objectively, one of the one of the most financially successful musicians potentially of all time. I mean, it's incredible what what she's achieved from a, from a financial standpoint, right? I'm interested in your time working with her. What did you see special about her? What do you think is what, what do you attribute some of that success to from being a little bit behind the scenes with her? Honestly, it just the second that I met her, she didn't feel like Katy Perry. She felt like Katy, you know, who wanted to be a singer. And now she's in rehearsal trying to be successful. It felt like a new artist. And I didn't, I, I wasn't working with her when she was coming up. This is on her biggest tour, right before her biggest tour is when I was brought in. It felt like I was talking to a new artist, hoping to get things right. And what can I do to make this good? Like it, that was what was beautiful about it. She felt like the girl that started it all. And so I, I thought that that was- Like special. teachable, like humble, like- Oh yeah. Teachable, hum humble, insecure. All those things are beautiful, beautiful things. Like all of those feelings when you're hoping you did a good job and did I hit the note? And was that okay? And a little bit embarrassed of like, who's listening? All those things are beautiful things. And she was all of that. Very authentic and teachable, extremely. What about Ariana? You know, what did you see even early on that, that you think helped her get to the level she got? You know, the, every artist is different and every artist has a different fuel that kind of drives them. And Ariana had a confidence that was far beyond everybody else in the room. She knew what she could do and she wasn't, and she wanted you to know that she knew and for you to know <laughs> what she can do. So it was like, it was, and it wasn't a fake confidence. It was just that she is so talented and she does not want you to be fooled by her small stature. I can do it, I can hit it, I can sing it. And so it, it was her confidence and her confidence didn't, you know, there has to be a high level of confidence if that's your and if that's your fuel. And it, it's a fine line between confidence and arrogance. And she pushed it right, right there. So she would stop right, right before arrogance to where she's as confident as it gets going into that situation. And everybody around them, around her, feels like they're going to do great because of how confident she is. So that was something that was special about her. Yeah. You know, I'm interested. You've worked with so many different artists, you know, I'm seeing on your client list here, boys to men, Gladys Knight, like you're covering some different spectrums here, yeah, right? Yeah, um, yeah. I'm interested in any lessons you learned from one of these clients that that has really stood out to you or stuck with you. Yeah, you know, I guess I'll say Stevie Wonder, I think like right now working, writing for him, we'll spend, we spent most of the, the night talking rather than making music. And I find that he takes the time to get to know everybody in the room. And so I think that's so important. It's it's not just like a, a lesson of humility. It's a lesson that everyone is on their journey here in life, trying to be the best that they can be. And who knows, the person you're talking to could have really needed that conversation, or the person you're talking to is going to end up being the CEO of the biggest label in just three years. Like you just don't know who you're talking to and the impact that it can have on them. And in turn, whatever's coming to you will come. And so I, I really learned that from him because he does not waste, he, he does not waste any time by or doesn't doesn't push people aside because it's wasting his time you feel like the time he spends with you is the most important time to him so that's what i learned 
Oh, what a great compliment for him. Yeah, it, it's incredible. And we could all be more like that, huh? Yeah. Listen, I know we're winding out for part one. Why don't you tell everybody your, your website and where they can connect with you online on social or things like that? Yeah, yeah. So right now, go to greenflakemovie.com. Greenflakemovie.com. That's the project, project that I'm working on right now and finishing up. So uh, check me out there. And then you can follow my socials, Instagram at Mali B, uh, M-A-U-L-I-B. And you, you kind of, you beat me to it. I was going to say, you think after all this talking about music, that, that that's the, you know, that's your main push in life. But in part two, everybody, we're going to be talking all about his new film that has been winning all sorts of awards at film festivals. I, I'm really excited to hear the whole journey with that. And thanks everybody for listening.